0: Hello, everyone. I've been chucking around this concept of empathy for the whole summer, and here's an idea. If you've got a development group and you've got a talk after the summer, just give your development group that assignment and then steal everything they say and package it as your own, and then don't tell anyone you've done it. Okay. So... I was trying to think of the best, best way that I think of describing empathy, and I think about the kind of carrying the wounded idea. Now, these, these three movies were ones that came to me, and I asked others for input. What are those kind of movies that grip your emotion? Like, when they go down, you go down with them, even if you know that the end is going to be really good. Okay, you still get emotionally... Upset. Well, Pursuit of Happiness has me in tears every time, even though I know it's all going to work out well in the end. Sound of Music, someone else said this one. I can't, I can't actually remember the Sound of Music. But Side always has me crying. I was going to put About Time, but I can't say that I feel happy at the end of that one. I'm still wrecked by About Time by the end of that. I think me and Nizar, I was talking to Nizar in the office, and he was saying he just weeps even the next day when thinking about it. <laughs> What is it about these movies that draw us in? And I think it's our love of the characters. We become attached to the characters, even though we know it's going to work out in the end. We can't stop being touched by what's going on for them. And I think that's been built into us because we've been made in his image. In the story of when Jesus raised Lazarus from from the dead, Jesus went through the same thing. In John 11, it says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, so Lazarus has died. When we look back a few verses, you find out that when Jesus heard that he was sick, Jesus was about, like, two days away, he chose to stay there for a further two days. It was like he wanted to be out of town so that he would die. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled Where have you laid him he asked Come and see lord they replied Jesus wept Then the Jews said see how he loved him but some of them said could he not have opened the eyes could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying Jesus knew what he was up to. So why did he weep? He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He'd stayed away for the purpose of this. Why did he choose to stay away? He knew in verse 4 that this sickness wouldn't end in Lazarus' complete death. And he knew that he was going to wake Lazarus up. He knew the end of the movie, but yet he wept. Why did he weep? He wept because he's so in touch with our feelings, with our state of mind. He can't help to but be in there with us. Why did he stay back? Because he was going to release his, uh, the, these people that he loved into the fullness of what God had for him. It was his compassion that meant that he stayed away. God cares for the heavy-hearted. It says in Hebrews 4, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. It says in Psalm 55, Cast your cares onto Jesus, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. God's heart is a heart of care for us. He empathises, he's attached to where we go and how we feel. So what pleases him for us? Galatians 6, verse 2, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fill the law of Christ. Romans 12, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Now it's important to remember the first part, Rejoice with those who rejoice. So we're not just there for troubled times, we're not magnets of misery. Sometimes you get the people that are drawn to when you're upset, but they're not there when you're celebrating. We often talk about you don't just want fair-weathered friends, but also you don't want just rain cloud friends either, you want friends that, that don't go up and down. What pleases God is reflecting the heart that he has for his people. see the story of david and jonathan in psalm in 1 samuel 23:16. we get this situation where where david's on the run from saul and jonathan comes and finds him and saul's son jonathan went to david at horesh and helped him find strength in god i've been chewing over that how do we help each other find strength in god How do we do that? How do we empower people? And so that question then led to this question. What do you do when you have prayed with someone, you've given them solid advice, you've given them the relevant scripture, but they still seem under their circumstances? What do you do in that situation where you've ticked all of the boxes and yet they're still in the same situation? Well i thought about nine of my responses, and at times I've done all of them. So we have option one, wash your hands of them. Okay, well, I've given you all I can give you. Um, it's, there's nothing more I can do. You just need to get on and do it. Sort yourself out. I realize when I take this position, it's actually about self-protection. I don't want to feel the pain if I can't fix it. That's the worst thing. I don't know if it's a husband thing, but when I'm presented with a problem, if I can't fix it, I don't want to hear about the problem. I don't want to be a sounding board. I just want to fix it. Then don't don't load me with it, because then I feel like I can't do anything, but I feel that I should do something. Wash my hands of that problem. But there should be a cost. In 2 Samuel 24, you see the point where... David is trying to buy some land for where he's going to build the temple. And the guy tried to offer it to him for free. And he says, no, I will not offer on something that has cost me nothing. There should be a cost. Jesus wept. He didn't wash his hands, even though he knew what was going to work out in the end. At times, I've taken offense. You can't treat me like this. I don't care what your problem is. Does that reflect God's heart for people? Matthew 5, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other cheek also. Luke 23, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. While he was on the cross, taking offense doesn't really reflect his heart. I've done this one a fair bit. Get frustrated and i can justify it because there's plenty of time for it looks like jesus has got frustrated and therefore i think it must be okay you unbelieving generation how long shall i be with you how long shall i have to put up with you this one is pretty harsh are you still so dull oh you have little faith why are you afraid but what we see in 1 corinthians 13 is love is patient it keeps finding an additional resource That even if we get frustrated, that's not what we live in. We're looking for that patience. This one I've become quite skilled at. Pinning a negative motive on someone. Okay? So you've decided, okay, well, if you're not going to get out of this issue, it's because your heart is wrong. And until you get your heart wrong, I can't help you. I'm going to back away. You sort it out. I'll kind of be like Job's friend's. Well, I, I can't understand why you'll be going through all this suffering. You must have done something wrong. Not very helpful. Do we preach louder and turn off the feelings? Because feelings just get in the way. Just keep repeating the same stuff louder and louder and hopefully we'll win them over. Distancing myself. I, I, I'll, I'll pray for you. Just don't talk to me any more about it. I can't, I can't deal with it. But Proverbs 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Proverbs 18, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Kind of almost at the other end of the spectrum, we can have those who jump into the pit with us. We kind of, oh, yeah, your situation's really bad. Oh, no, what are you going to do? It's really bad, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it is. And you kind of build each other into this ever-speeding spiral. Also quite unhelpful you make allowances. In in Trinidad, um, the guys... uh, just before election time, they, uh, the government would pay for a whole bunch of the roads to be re-tarmacked, but no one would have made any preparation for it. And so they would tarmac around parked cars. And one guy told me he even saw there was, they'd tarmacked over a dead dog that was in the road. <laughs> but here, they're making allowances. I can't be bothered to, to try and extract the problem. So let's just go around it. Do we, do we make allowances for, for, for poor behaviour? Oh, well, I won't confront them on that because they're really having a hard time. But if we're called to be my brother's keepers, keeper, is that right as well? And I'm very good at this one. Let me take control. Let me fix everything. I'll resolve it all for you. But it's quite interesting. I'd already read a verse from Galatians 6, verse 2, and I said we should bear each other's burdens. In Galatians 6, verse 5, it says, for each should carry their own load. Okay, so holding those two things in tension. Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And One of the things that I often find quite challenging is thinking about 2 Samuel 6, where um, Uzzah tried to balance the ark. He saw that something was going, and he put his hand on it. And that was... He was struck down because his irreverence towards God. He wasn't realising God's up to something here. And so when we grab the wheel, it's like grabbing the ark. So don't worry, I can get involved here. And we don't recognise that God's up to something. And that's because God's called all of us to be priests. That's what he talks about in 1 Peter 2, that we're a, a priesthood of all believers. Okay, so if those aren't necessarily good reactions. What do we do then? Do we carry or do we leave? A lot of you would have heard um, the footprints poem, that idea of walking together and then there's only one set of footprints and afterwards is God, you left me. There's only one set of footprints. And God says, no, that's where I carried you. Well, here's another look at it.
1: some stranger prince appeared and I asked the Lord what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat but Lord they are too big for feet. My child he said in somber tones for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow. The walk of faith, you would not know. So I got tired, and I got fed up. And there I dropped you on your butt. Because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb. When one must rise and take a stand. Or leave their butt prints in the sand.
0: Okay, so there's a point where we have responsibility for our journey, that we shouldn't always be looking to be carried all the time. So how, how do we do that? How do we make sure we don't take away someone's responsibility for them? Well, the climax that gets me choked up in these movies, in the, um, the Lord of the Rings movies, is this bit, where Sam is with Frodo uh, at the foot of Mount Doom. They're almost there. Frodo has nothing left in him. And he's got to get the ring and throw it into into the fire. And Sam knows that he's not the one that's called to to carry the ring. He can't carry it himself. And he says, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And I think that's what we're called to do as brothers and sisters. We've got to recognise we can't carry it all for someone else but at times we can carry them in some ways. My, um, my brother tells the story um, where he was in a, a, kind of a, a place of, quiet, uh, of depression. And he would describe it as he'd wake up in the morning and he'd think, oh, I'm awake. And he remembers one time Dad's coming to him and sitting, sitting him down, and Dad just wept. And he said, I just want to see you Happier than you are. I just see your misery. And Nathan felt pretty awkward because he didn't feel this bad, but dad's weeping in front of him. And whenever my dad weeps, I mean, it doesn't take us a second to, to follow him. But it was, Nathan said it was actually the thing that shocked him out of his state of thinking, this is it, this is all I've got, to see dad like that in front of him. And he said that, that was the beginning of him thinking, maybe there's something else. For, for me. And in that, Dad was doing that very thing. He said, I can't carry it. Um, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. I can lift you into something that causes you to engage with where you're at. If you remember this flag? Anyone remember what this flag's from? The, the fat dad drama that the Ackermans did for us. Um, there were two people in In this story, one that had to be left and one that could be carried. You remember, um, Beth Hooper played a character that they'd met in the the desert. And she didn't want to go to Zion, and they couldn't convince her to come with her. She didn't have her eyes set on something further. But Ma, um, Claire, when she fell over and twisted her ankle, she couldn't go on, but she wanted to. And they could carry her. And that's part of what, we're, what we've got to discern. Is this person set on the destination and they just, they're wounded and they need to be carried? Or are they determined not to go? In which case, we don't have a responsibility to carry them. And at times, we see Jesus teaching us about that. The rich young ruler, he didn't drag him along with him. He let him go. That... He didn't have a mind for the things that God had or for the destination. The prodigal son, the father, didn't chase him down. He didn't even go and find him in the pigsty. But he was standing there with arms wide open when he'd come to his senses. But the the disabled guy that they lowered down through the roof to Jesus, he wanted to meet Jesus, but he couldn't actually get there. I think part of our responsibility is correctly addressing the problem. You need to get the right address on it, because it's only the owner of the problem that can actually fix it. I heard an analogy about when a car alarm's going off, you've got to find the owner, because the owner's got the key fob that can turn it off. But if you decide that you're going to smash the window and try and hotwire the car and turn the engine off from that side, you're going to get in trouble, right? You, you've you've crossed the line of what is your jurisdiction. And so helping people acknowledge the problem is their problem is part of empathy. And then once we've done that, we've got an amazing opportunity, which is to gather around their faith. So this is at one of the Olympics. You have the the flag bearer. This is the person who has owned the problem. This is the person that you're trying to support. They lead out, and you follow in close behind. You're not waving the flag on their behalf. You're supporting them as they wave it. I remember there was one leaders meeting um, years back where um, Sue Jarvis got up, and she said that she'd just been diagnosed with cancer. And she said, I need your love, I need your support, but I don't need your sympathy, because God said he's going to get me out of this. And then my dad stood up after her and said, now that Sue has declared her faith position, we can rally around her. That's the real delicate responsibility of those with empathy, which got to be by their faith that they make a stand, and we gather around those points. It would be no good for Sue saying, I've been diagnosed with cancer, and you saying, you need to have faith that God's going to get you out of this. That may be true. But until that faith has struck a chord and embedded into that person's life, our role is to help them hear, not to hear on their behalf. Now, until they do get that vision, until they t- do get that um, place of embedding, that, that seed of faith, we do have an opportunity to, to hold a vision that they would get vision. Not that we have everything planned out for them, but we envision them to get vision. Um, in, this, in Matrix, you see um, Morpheus, the guy at the, the front there. He's got a role to envision Neo to get a vision. And there's a point where um, he's training him and he says, Neo says to him, what, what are you trying to tell me? That I can dodge bullets? Morpheus replies, no Neo. I'm trying to tell you that when you're ready, you won't have to. We have the opportunity to speak of what's going to happen, what we believe God's saying, but all the time we're looking for that person to be able to carry that vision for themselves. Nathan's developed um, the concept of VIP, Vision Identity Purpose, and that's all about that. It's saying we carry something until someone's able to carry it themselves. We're never a substitute, but we could be the step towards them, being able to carry it. And I think that's kind of what we see in the story of of Eli with Samuel. So, you remember this one, that that God wakes um, Samuel up three times by calling his name. Samuel goes into Eli thinking, Eli's calling him. And it takes Eli three times as the high priest of all of Israel to think, oh, maybe God's speaking to someone. Um, But he cottons on which is probably quicker than I do at times. And he, he does some interesting things. So he spots, okay, Samuel, I think that's God trying to talk to you. And we, we want to be those watchmen that are fascinated with God doing work in other people's lives. We want to be magnetised to those things. Like That sounds like God speaking in your life. Let's spot those and encourage people to those things. Like, that's God's fingerprints. I love watching God working in people's lives. Let us be excited about that and communicate that. Samuel, uh, Eli then guided Samuel to engage with God. He said, next time God speaks to you, ask him what he wants to say to you. Say, I'm ready and listening. Now we've got to make sure that we're, we're people that are doing that. Next time God speaks, ask him, talk to him. I was talking to a young person um, at Youth the other day. And Ed said, I'm really anxious about if, if I don't do well in my GCSEs and then this will happen and this will happen and everything's going to go downhill. So, okay, well, that, that all sounds pretty bleak. What do you think God thinks? I don't know. Well, ask him. Come back to me, let me know how you get on. That is a very important role to make sure we don't grab the will. We're saying, engage with God, talk with him. You don't need me as an intermediary, because we're all priests. And when the dust settles after this crisis, I want you to come out with a better relationship and better understanding of who he is than you did before. And then finally, what Eli does is the next morning, he helps um, Samuel unpack what God said. What did God say to you? Tell me. Let's look at it together. And that's being happy to help apply, ready to... Okay, so God's just said that. How are you going to work that out in your life? What are you going to do? So it doesn't merely stay as a word that is just carried around, but it actually turns into action. Sometimes it takes tough love. Joyce Meyer gave a quote of her husband once when she was down, down in the pits. Her husband said to her, it's no good me feeling sorry for you because that will only fuel your self-pity. I remember at times I was in a pretty bad state and I wanted I was putting conditions on God and what I wanted him to do for me and I remember Avril saying to me, it's not your business. It's not your business if God looks after you. I found that really difficult to hear but it was exactly what I needed to hear. It was tough But it was still full of empathy. Because I had to come to a point of trusting God, not to deliver my plans, but God to deliver his plans for my life. Which were better, but I couldn't see it at that point in time. At at one point I'd gone over to Sierra Leone when I was really, really in difficulty. And I'd told Prince my situation. And Prince replied to me, you need to put your troubles aside because you have a mission to do while you're here. Again, it seems really harsh, but it was what I needed, and it was full of empathy. And we can, we can give tough as long as we're full of love. Proverbs 27, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Always need to make sure that our, our words are full of grace and seasoned with salt. Galatians 4. I say Galatians? What am I trying to say? Colossians. I was mixed up with Corinthians, didn't I? <laughs> okay. How do we encourage each other to look up when in a downward spiral? If you've been at the prayer meetings, um, or you might remember back in May, I, I talked about this idea of having a trajectory of life where things are going downhill. But there will be at one point where we get the God intervention, which absolutely flips things on their heads And we've often talked about the story of of, um, Joseph, that you intended all these things for bad, and they're all going bad, they're all going bad, but God intended for good. And at that point of God intervention, we see things coming back round the way that it should be. But because we're people that can see beyond what we're going through, we can actually be on the downward trajectory, but we can look across and predict that but God intervention. We can have the audacity to believe that God will act and I can live in the good of what he's going to do in the future now. We can borrow from hope and bring into the presence. But say someone that I care about is here, how do I get them to do that? They're in a downward spiral, how do I get them to lift their heads so they can see? Well, Here's some ideas. Remember his track record and his nature. We've got to remind people of what he's like, what he's done for us, what he's done for that person in particular. Respect, respecting and then nurturing what he's promised. What has God said to you? How are you, put How are you investing in that? How are you building on that thing that he said? sharing our, our own testimonies. The Hebrew word for testimony means do it again. So when I say, this is what God's done for me, I'm actually giving that as a hope promise for what he can do for you. We want to see that people, we want to help people untangle their lives. At points when you're in the darkest moments, sometimes you can't remember a single good thing God has ever done. And it's at those points you need someone to say, Can can you remember this? Or you think God just wants to punish you? Well, let's have a little look at some of the things that God says about himself. Give thanks. Always a way through. And encourage them that embracing God is better than situational change. Sam Albury wrote a book, as someone that suffered with same-sex attraction. And he said, a win for a Christian struggling with same-sex attraction is not that temptations would go away, but in the heat of them, Jesus would be prized more and more. That is so much better than a resolve to our situation that we love Jesus more and know Jesus more in the midst of it. So let's look at some practical things, how I've been strengthened in the Lord. Going back to that original question, how did Jonathan uh, do it for David? Well, this is how people have done this for me. And it's particularly what Avril's done for me. Reminds me of the words and truths that I've been previously declared. That's the flag that I've flown before, but I've forgotten it or I've put it down. Pick it back up again, what's God said? Listens to me and makes sure that I understand that she understands. And that doesn't necessarily mean that she's got to count, counter everything I say every minute. Sometimes she lets me rant. She'll contact me. With, oh, th- I was thinking about you. Or, this is something that, that I think God says for you. Weeps with me. Presents the choices that are in front of me. Yep, you could do that. You could react in that way if you wanted. Reminds me what I really want in my heart and not what I want in my head at that moment. Helps me consider practical actions. Prays with me and for me. Easy to be around. Don't have to each time unpack all of the the trouble and the issues. Follows up to find out how I got on. Confronts my wrong attitude, and there's plenty of those. And even willing to contend and argue with me and offer a counter to my opinions. All of these things give me the belief that she's in the battle with me. And that's what I look for when I'm in trouble. I want to know that someone's in the battle with me, in the trenches with me. So some tips for empathy. Seek to get it. Actually understand to the point that you can relay the person's thoughts and arguments for them, In a way that they would say, Yes, you've got it. That's right. Prove that you've got it. Then they feel that they don't have to keep stating their position. Take some time. Thank them for their openness. It can really be painful to have to open the box each time and drag out what you're going through. Share if you've had similar struggles. Make sure that they, they don't feel alone. Ask how you can be a friend. What what could I do for you? What would help? And if they can't think of anything, give suggestions. <coughs> love in the best language that would be understood. If you're a gift giver, but the person that you love is actually, they, they respond to words of encouragement, switch what you give for their benefit. Now, if you're receiving and you receive best touch, but that person's a poet, then be willing to receive a poem. Whichever end you are on, be willing to switch so you get the best opportunity to communicate love. And here's a warning. Be careful not to dwell on the soulish stuff. Sometimes we can just take all of our time telling ourselves how bad the problem is. The disciples in the storm were very focused on how powerful the storm was, but they forgot how powerful he who was in the boat in the storm with them. And so let's not spend too long talking about past sins and how things were in our childhood if the time is to focus on how powerful God is. What might we want to see our brothers and sisters who are under it, under their circumstances, get? I want them to be able to look to him, to lift up their eyes to the mountains where the hope comes from, I want them to have the ability to see what is, rather rather than what's not. We see Elijah, Elisha doing that with the servant, open his eyes so that he can may see, so he can may so he can see who's with us is more than those who are against us. I like this idea of being lifted out of out of the raging rapids to sit on the bridge above it all, and you will be able to watch it and think about it in a different way. Look to see God making a profit even in a downward spiral, even in a bad situation. If you've ever heard of uh, short, uh, short selling, the idea is you don't just make a profit when, a, when shares go up. So if I've invested 100 quid in Apple and they bring out the new iPhone, the shares go up, and I can now sell them for 200 quid, I made 100 quid profit. Imagine you've got a share for 200 quid, then Samsung bring out a better model or something, Um, and so Jamie owns um, a share at 200 quid I say let me borrow that off you I'm going to give it back to you I borrow his 200 quid share sell it to Daniel Samsung release their next news Apple plummet I buy it back off Daniel for 100 quid and give it back to Jamie even though the share of Apple's gone down I've made 100 quid you follow that? okay Jamie's got an Apple share, 200 quid. I say, let me, I'm give it, I'm saying, let me loan that off of you, and I'm going to give it back to you. The same share, not the same value, same share. I take it to Daniel. Sell it to Daniel. Got me 200 quid, yeah? The price falls. It's now only worth 100 quid. So I've got my 200 quid. I give him back 100, still got 100 in my hand. I take the share back. I said, I told you I'd give it back to you. 100 quid in my pocket. Yeah, That's short-selling. That's short-selling. God can make a profit in my life when things go well or when things go badly. I can still embrace God and know God better, even if all the things that I hope for don't come about. I can embrace him and know him better. That's what I want for people that are going through difficulty. Joseph went on a downward spiral, and God made good out of it. Even if you pray and you step out in faith and it doesn't work, you can still know God better and love him more out of it. That's what I want to see for people. I want them to know peace in the storm, because he who is in the boat with them. I want them to celebrate whilst the enemy is still about. They're still under attack, they're still in difficulty, but he can prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy. I can be like that sheep, completely blasé about the fact that there's an enemy just beyond because I'm protected. I want to see my friends released for action. All that potential that's building up, the, the stories that they're building from being under attack. I want to see them released into what God's called them to be. Back to Matrix, the beginning. All he can see is these numbers going down the screen. And then eventually he can see imagery through those numbers coming down, the street, down through what he can see. I want my friends to be able to see clearer through the confusion they're facing. I see, actually I can see the outline of God doing something here. I want them to become focused on his honour over their comfort. In the story of Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego, they said, even if God doesn't save me, I will not dishonour my God by, by bowing down to yours even if it doesn't work out. That's more important to them than the situation being resolved. I would want them to know the sufficiency of God's grace, even in the suffering, even if they don't see the purpose of it. Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh. Three times I asked God to take it away from me. Each time he said, my grace is sufficient. And out of that, Paul praises God because he says, it is, it's in my weakness that God is shown strong. What a position to take when you're under stuff? Choose to give thanks. We've often heard about the story of Corey Temboon when she's sent to that concentration camp, and the, the straw that breaks the camel's back is the fact that her bed in this concentration camp is full of fleas, and her sister says, "Give thanks to God." Why am I going to give thanks to God? So she digs around, okay, I'm thankful that my father died before this, he doesn't have to suffer this. I'm thankful that me and my sister are still together. I'm thankful that we smuggled a Bible in. And she said, now give thanks for the fleas. I'm not going to give thanks for the fleas. There's nothing good about the fleas. And she she chose to say, okay, God, you say give thanks in everything, not just in the things that I think are good. I'm going to give thanks for the fleas. And as you, you go a couple of chapters later in the book, you realise that the fleas were a protection because it stopped the guards coming into the room so they could do Bible studies and see women saved. Give thanks because you don't know what God's up to. And we're still able to reach out even while we're still in prison. Someone told me this from their situation, that the story of Paul and Silas, they're in the prison... They start worshipping, there's an earthquake, their chains come off, the the prison doors are opened, and the, the jailer is about to kill himself because he thinks everyone's escaped. And they say, no, no, we're still here. And they led the jailer and his whole family to God. And the point that the person made to me is, I'm still in the darkness at the moment. I'm still in the prison. I believe I will get out of the prison, but this is where I am at the moment. But God can still use me to see a whole household saved. I can still reach out from my place of limitation. And I think that is, that's true, and that's what I would want to see for people that I'm caring for. So let's flip it the other way. Are you allowing others to strengthen you in God? Sometimes we can be a little bit more eager to, to help those than we are to receive. As Charlotte asked our development group, these three questions, and I want you to, to ask yourself them now. What has worried you over the last couple of weeks? Just think about that for a second. Did you share it with anyone? If not, What are the reasons that led you not to share? Here's some answers that that I've come up with. I'll survive. It's not that bad. Like other people are going through worse. I don't want to make a big deal of this. It it didn't come up naturally. There wasn't there didn't feel like a key good opportunity to talk. It's not appropriate to share. Sometimes you've got to be careful what situations you you share it with and who you share with. I don't want to put on anyone else. I don't want to make it all about me. I doubt they'll understand or they'll be able to help. No one else has been able to help in the past. I'll figure this one out myself. I'm, I'm smart enough, I'm able to do it. What will they think of me if I tell them what I'm struggling with? Will they expect me to do what they advise? What well, if I don't want to do it? Then it just gets really awkward. It takes too much energy to have to pull all this out again and have another person look at it all. I don't trust them. I'd be happy to say if asked but I just didn't think to share. Now you may have heard yourself saying or thinking one of those things. But This one was, this next one was the biggest one, so you're sitting around having a nice time together and then someone drops an intensity bomb. You've heard of an incendiary bomb, well the intensity bomb is absolute casual conversation killer. You're sitting around and someone just goes deep, whoa. It's interesting, the amount of people that I've heard say, oh, I I thought we were just around here to to play games. I I didn't feel that it would... I think it would kill the atmosphere to to do this. Or It's a bit awkward to be vulnerable in that setting. I don't know if it's because we're British or, or what, but it is a real hindrance to people. And we don't end up sharing at a deeper level because... We've got in mind that well, we don't want to don't want to burn up the the good times, and so we actually had a conversation as a development group. Okay, I've invited you around to play Settlers or Monopoly, and you've got something on your mind. How do you do it? We really chewed over. Right? well, maybe I should text you ahead of time to say I'd like to talk about something, or um, maybe while I'm with you, I'll, I'll book a one-to-one to to talk about it another time. And I said, well. Would anyone think to just do the, here's something I've been thinking about, bleh. Oh, I I don't know. It's interesting because the whole idea of what we're trying to do in the development group is, even the times when we're hanging out together, is build an atmosphere where it would be natural to be a little bit more open and a little bit more real about what's going on. Seems kind of worthless if you can't actually get to the deeper stuff. It's only so long you can talk about the weather. Now, here, here's an important thing breadcrumb trails. Okay, you know the story of Hansel and Gretel. They, they didn't want to forget where they'd gone to, and so they left breadcrumb trails. Now, imagine that birds don't eat these. Particular ones. The idea of laying breadcrumb trails. What I mean is, what are the milestones? What are the things that God's promised and done in your life that you're putting down as markers as you're wandering and adventuring through life? Jonathan knew David's breadcrumb trail because in the point of David's need, when David needed strengthening, he said to him, you will be king over all and I will be second to you he found a breadcrumb and he reminded him of the breadcrumb. And he could actually find David in David's wilderness by following the breadcrumbs of promises. So even though David was lost, people could find him because he'd asked them to be safe keepers of the promises that God had done and God had said. Who knows yours? Who knows your promises in your life? Who is safeguarding and who's the safekeeper of the things that God's yet to do in your life? Who are you sharing your testimonies with that really know how to find you if you get lost? But not just if you get lost, just a journey with you. Now, fixing the roof... If you don't do it, when it starts to rain, all you can do is catch the water. You're, you're in firefighting mode or water fighting mode. Um, you, you are a victim of the circumstance in that situation. All you can do is react. Uh, JFK said the time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining. There's people that I've been involved with where the only time they seem to cry out is at the point where their roof is leaking and they're trying to catch it with buckets. And every time I say to them, when this is through, when we're through this one, let's talk then. Let's talk when the sun is shining. Let's get things in order. What if you find yourself at this point when that, that roof is leaking and you've not laid out any breadcrumb trail who's going to find you who's going to remind you the things that god has said who's going to say to you you're going to be th- you're going to get through this because god has promised bleu. god has already done bleh, in your life if you don't if you don't invest in that you put yourself in vulnerability that would you put yourself in a situation where you're just catching water. See, it's not just about restoring people in the bad times, it's walking with them in the good times as well, because we've got to rejoice as well as weep. You don't want just the people that just gather around you, just when it's sad or just when it's happy. You want the people that do both. And imagine you find yourself catching water like that because you didn't want to drop an intensity bomb on a gathering playing Monopoly, and then you, you're at a point of regretting it, of, I never spoke the good things that God was doing in my life, or the things that he's promised, and now I can't even remember them. When I was thinking, what do I really want you guys to be able to take away from today? I was thinking, that, that last point is not just about weeping, but also rejoicing, And being safe keepers, reminders, guardians, those that inspire us of God's promises. I want us to be people that are close enough to feel, close enough to understand and close enough to point the higher reality of what God is saying even in the difficult situations. My my son Arthur loves planes. He's so good at spotting aeroplanes. And it became second nature to me whenever I hear a plane to point it out. The amount of times where I pointed them out to Lucy when Arthur's been asleep. Plane there. You don't care, okay? <laughs> it's, just, it's just triggered in the mind. But there'd be points where I'd say, look, Arthur, a plane. To be able to help him, I've got to come down to his level. I say, I get my eyeline next to his eyeline and say, look, there's a plane. That, that's empathy. I've got to match my eyeline with his eyeline eye line, so that he can see where I'm pointing. Because if I'm pointing over there, he can't see it from there. I've got to be close enough to see what he's seeing. And then, then my next job is to help build a bridge from the current reality of what they're experiencing to the eternal reality of what God is saying. How do we move from... That's very true what you see, but what's he saying? Let's, let's move this way. What's he got for you? and that's about envisioning someone to have a vision. And it's not about just fixing problems, but it's about bringing people into his presence and presenting them mature to him. I don't want you to take this away and thinking, okay, this helps me fix people's problems and, and resolves those issues, those pastoral issues that I come across. No, this is about the luxury, the privilege of being able to present our brothers and sisters mature in Christ. I get to do that. I get to be part of that. This isn't just about pulling people out of a ditch, but being part of everything that's going on with them. Okay, so to take away. For those that are bearing other burdens, is that your focus, to present everyone fully mature in Christ? Is that what I'm looking for? Am I... Or at times I'm just thinking, oh, here we go again, let's, let's get this issue out. Or, oh my goodness, there's a crisis, let me jump into the pit with them. Am I making space to be led by their faith? What, what are they hearing? How do I support them? Like my dad said we should do for Sue. She's made a stand. Now let's remind her of that and help her develop that concept. Are we reminding them of God's nature, God's track records and God's promises? so much better than taking too long to focus on how big the problem is or how strong the storm is. And we also have a responsibility to allow others to bear our burdens. And for that, we need to lay our breadcrumb trail. We need to be talking. What's God doing? What's God saying? Even if all we can say is, I don't think God's saying anything to me at the moment. Let someone in. At that level. And if sharing the deeper stuff pleases God, we have to work out how to do it. Maybe with your friends, have that conversation. How do we make space and, env- and an environment to talk about what God's doing? I've even had this conversation with some of the younger people. It's like, we, we don't find that we're talking about God week to week. Well, how are you going to do it? If it pleases God, if that's what God wants, how are you going to do it? Have a practical discussion like we did as a group. Where, where do, how do we make space for this so that we're not fearful of the intensity bomb?
2: Great, thank you, Jane. Lots of good stuff there. <laughs> Very practical, isn't it? for us to consider. I've made loads of notes. Uh, I think that um, we feel that sense of, of harvest, incoming harvest, and part of the shaping of what God's doing for us is to make us good workers for the harvest. And I think that the best way to be a good worker for the harvest is to be a a good discipler, someone who can take people and walk with them and and develop them. And obviously, the best way to be a good disciple is to be a good disciple yourself. But I think this whole thing on empathy uh, that Jamie has shared is is actually about getting those things in order for us to be good disciplers in that sense. And there's a a lot of stuff here to to be thinking about, but I think it's very practical, isn't it? Very practical work. I, th- I think what I was challenged in is that whole concept of the breadcrumbs. Um, am, am I am I putting those breadcrumbs out for people to be able to come and see and be able to have, be insightful into my situation? Who am I sharing those those dreams, those promises, those prophetic words, those different things? Who, who have I shared those with? Who can we speak to me? Even for those of us who are married, does my does my wife or? My huns- husband know those things, or well, those was not who, who is those who's got that place? who's got that connection? Um, because this whole thing about being able to walk closely, we can bump along the top of a relationship, you know, like a stone skinning over, or we can dive deep and move each other closer and root for each other in a new way. There's some excellent things. My challenge is this. I want you to take a moment. If you want to talk to the person next to, you can do that, but I don't think you necessarily need to. I just want you to reflect, what are my breadcrumbs and who am I leaving them for? Yeah? Who am I giving insight into me, to some extent, who am I giving permission? Yeah? Because actually, if nobody knows anything about you, they've just got a guess and they 're probably not going to have, but who am I giving those those, f- those footholds, those insights, those things into me who could then hold me to account let 's have a quick moment to reflect on that.